Gracious God, I pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would give us ears to hear and respond to what you have to say to us this morning. God, I pray that as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts, ready to receive them and respond. God, if I say anything that isn't from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. I pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro. Today, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. If you brought a Bible, Isaiah chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be Bibles in your pews. You can find it on page 575 of the Pew Bible. Of course, your smartphone, a quick Google of Isaiah 11 will take you right there. So we're going to be looking at this morning and the coming weeks here in Advent. We'll be looking at the Advent readings in Isaiah. Now last week, Bishop Martin introduced us to some of the primary themes of Advent, reminding us that it is a season of the church year where we wait and watch for the return of Jesus. In the coming three weeks, we're going to continue to explore these primary themes of Advent by paying attention to the traditional Advent readings in Isaiah. We'll wait and watch, yearning, hoping in a world full of darkness for the one who is the light of the world. Theologian Fleming Rutledge reminds us that Advent begins in the dark. And so it's important that we pay attention to this, to the darkness, that we avoid the temptation to skip the waiting and the yearning and the hoping of Advent, skip over the darkness of the world and in our lives, in our hearts, that we don't instead just rush to the pleasant festivities of the season. The invitation of Advent is for us to be a people keeping watch in the dark for the coming King. This morning, we'll do that in Isaiah 11. Now, rather than going line by line, because I'm not sure that makes the most sense for this particular passage, we're going to go idea by idea and thought by thought through these 10 verses. So for those of you who really like to know where we're going, the planners among us, this is where we're headed. First, we're going to take a look at the stump in verse 1, the stump. Second, the shoot. Third, the fruit. And fourth, the signal, the stump, the world is dark, the shoot, the coming king. Third, the fruit, the king's kingdom. And lastly, the signal for the, for the sake of the world. So let's get into it. Look with me. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, first, the stump. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, the context of this great declaration of hope, that is these 10 verses of Isaiah, they are, they're a declaration of hope. The context is important and it's, oh, so easy to skip over. The context of our text this morning, if we just looked at it, would we could fly right past it just to hope. But instead, there's one phrase that points us back to the larger context. And that phrase, if you brought your own Bible, you might want to circle it, is stump of Jesse. What does Isaiah mean when he speaks of the stump of Jesse? Now, Jesse, if you know your Old Testament Bible, Jesse was the father of King David, the great hero king of Israel, the one who established a kingdom and a dynasty that was to rule forever. 
Only now, as Isaiah is waiting and writing and preaching, the once glorious kingdom of David is nothing more than a stump. It's about to be cut off and chopped down. Their once powerful armies are threatened on all sides. And everyone knows that desperate alliances or not, it is only a matter of time before the mighty Assyrians run right over them and carry them off into exile. That's the context. The Jewish people are surrounded by the mighty Assyrians. Their kings are making whatever alliances they can in hopes of preserving their kingdom. But it is just a matter of time. The promise that God made to Abraham that he would become a great nation in this moment seems to be a lie. The promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, I'll provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. I will raise up for your offspring. God promised David to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Where once Israel was planted and growing and vibrant and powerful, established by God himself by way of Jesse's offspring, now only a stump remains. I can't help but wonder what the Israelites must have been feeling in this moment as they heard Isaiah's words, as the armies of their enemies pressed ever closer, as their kings frantically pandered to anyone who might be able to help them, and as the inevitability of their coming doom seemed more and more certain, as the darkness creeped in. Perhaps they found themselves thinking that maybe all of those promises weren't actually real after all. Or maybe in this world, the bad guys do usually win. Perhaps they found themselves wondering, does God even still see us? Or even perhaps, maybe God doesn't even really care about us at all. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. After all, as George R.R. R. Martin wrote, the world is dark and full of terrors. And it can seem like God doesn't see us. It can feel like he's forgotten us. Which is true for us today, isn't it? As it was all those thousands of years ago in the time of Isaiah. The brokenness, the darkness of the world, it's a recurring theme in the book of Isaiah. He forces us to look unflinchingly at the dark. At the time of writing, that meant first a looming military cataclysm and the destruction of a once mighty empire ruled by the descendants of Jesse. Later in the book, it would mean the horrors of exile, and even though God promised not to abandon his people, even during these seasons of darkness and judgment, it must have felt like it. Like you say you're in control, but it doesn't seem like it. And if you really, really, if you are in charge and in control, then what's the plan here? <laughs> because we've been cut off 
chopped down to a stump. And it's into these moments of darkness and despair that Isaiah provides these brief glimmers and glimpses of future hope. Because it's out of that stump, out of the loss, the despair, the grief, the confusion, the darkness, that the promise of a shoot emerges. That's what Isaiah writes right there in verse one. There shall come forth from the shoot, or from the, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. He continues to tell us about the shoot. Look with me here, verse two. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his eyes hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Friends, the world is certainly dark. We see it all around us, don't we? We see it on the news, in our families, in our workplaces. We see it in our hospitals and our histories. The human heart is desperately sick and one doesn't have to pay much attention to realize peace, peace. There is no peace. There's so much to lament and we mustn't ignore the dark or explain it away. The world is dark and full of fears and Advent reminds us of this every year. And yet, that is not all there is. Nor does the darkness get the final say. Christians aren't nihilists. <laughs> no, though the world is surely dark, the light of Christ is coming. The King is coming. The Messiah, the one we wait for and watch for and hope for, the one we bear witness to and build our lives upon. He's not like other kings, Isaiah tells us so. As he compares and contrasts in verses 2 and 5, in verse 3, he delights in the ways of God, not the ways of self or power or domination. Verses 3 and 4, where others might judge by what they see or hear, by what might seem right, this coming king will rule with righteousness and equity. Verse 4 tells us that the wicked won't get a pass, that God's not indifferent to it, but that the coming king sees and will bring justice. Verse 5, in a world where it seems so few leaders are righteous and faithful, he promises to be both righteous and faithful. Not only that, but the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Look, the world is dark. We, we know it and we see it. But the hope of Advent is in a coming king one who promises to make things right, a light shining in the darkness upon whom the spirit of the Lord shall rest. Not flashy or what one might expect from a world changer, just a shoot. Ah, but 
the one the world needs, the one we need, the one I need, the coming king. First the stump, the darkness and the waiting and the seeming hopelessness, and then the shoot, the coming king, the thrill of hope for a weary world. And then in verses 6 to 9, we get a glimpse of the coming king's kingdom. Look at this with me. Isaiah says, The wolf in the coming king's kingdom shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the, bra- the, cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. These four verses describe a world at peace. Doesn't sound at all like planet earth, does it? And yet this is what the coming king's kingdom looks like. It looks like an impossible sort of peace where violence and strife and pain and death are no more. Now, can I pause here for a moment and get just a little bit vulnerable? Is that okay? Verse, what is that right there? Eight. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den. If I can get just a little bit vulnerable, I hate snakes. I hate snakes. I know it might look like I'm strong, tough, not afraid of much, ruggedly handsome, and those things are all true. And yet, should a snake slither this way, all of that in a moment, in a flash is gone. My voice will elevate several octaves, and I'll shriek in terror. I think I said this once before from a pulpit, from the pulpit, and at the end of that sermon, I think it was a sermon where kids were in here, there were at least six children who handed me little pictures of snakes. In fact, at 7.45, there's no kids ministry. On the way out, right here, a snake. I was introduced to Gerald the snake. He's got rattles and a cobra's head. Gerald likes pancakes, friends, church. He's funny. Oh, he likes funny tourists. And he lives in Yellowstone National Park. And despite the fact that Gerald, this friendly snake that I was drawn during the 745, is friendly, has lots of friends, likes pancakes and funny tourists, this picture still terrifies me. I hate it. It is the worst. And yet in verse 8, Isaiah describes a world where a young child has nothing to fear from a cobra. And if that's true, because snakes are terrible and terrifying and I hate them, if what Isaiah is describing, this coming king's kingdom, if it's true, where toddlers don't need to be afraid of some of the most evil, terrifying creatures on God's green earth, If small children don't need to be afraid of the slithering evidence of the fall, if ever there was one, 
then surely what Isaiah is describing is a world where there is no longer anything to fear. A world where I might not even be afraid of snakes. And he's describing it to a people who are about to be conquered by an enemy known for its viciousness and cruelty. He's describing this sort of kingdom to a people who had every reason to be afraid. Heck, he's describing it to me, a grown man who hates snakes. He's describing the answer to the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, isn't he? A world where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, he speaks to the stump, the reality of darkness and pain and hardship and suffering. Second, he speaks of the shoot, the coming king who will make things right. Third, he, he describes to us the fruit of that shoot, the fruit of the coming king's kingdom, a world where God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven, a world without violence or strife or darkness, a world without fear, even of snakes. And that brings us to verse 10 and the signal for the sake of the world. Look at, this, look at this with me. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. There's so much that could be said of this verse, but here is what I think is the most important thing to say today, okay? The root of Jesse, the shoot from the stump, the promised Messiah who would bring peace where there is no peace, he shall stand as a signal for all peoples, a signal for the nations. We can see that clear as day in verse 10. He shall stand as a signal for the peoples, plural. Do you see that? Of him that what? Nations shall inquire. This hope in the darkness, his mission is bigger and wider than Isaiah's audience could have imagined. And it's bigger and wider and better still than you or I can ask or imagine. He's the signal, the Messiah, for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world. The light of the world who stepped down into darkness. Okay, but so what? What are we supposed to do with this? We've got this promise that was made to Isaiah, or by, uh, through Isaiah, to God's people thousands of years ago. What are we supposed to do with it? First, let me state the obvious, okay? And point to Jesus. The shoot... The signal, the promised Messiah, it's, it's Jesus. The one we're to watch and wait for, put all of our hope in, it's Jesus. The one who shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's Jesus. The one from whose roots shall bear fruit is Jesus. The one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest, that's who? Jesus. The one upon whom the Spirit of wisdom and understanding shall rest is Jesus. Spirit of counsel and might, that points to Jesus. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, he's talking about Jesus. The one whose delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, Jesus. 
the one who doesn't judge by what his eyes see nor decide disputes by what his eyes hear, Jesus, the one who decides with righteousness for the poor, with equity for the meek of the earth, it's Jesus. The one who will take care of the wicked, Jesus. The one upon whom righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt Uh, faithfulness, the belt around his waist, is Jesus. It all points to Jesus first. Jesus, he's already come. It's a huge part of what we remember and celebrate at Christmas, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that his coming changed and changes everything. His coming makes it possible for you and for me to have a relationship with God, to be freed from sin and death, to live a life transformed for the sake of others, to really know what it is to love and be loved. Jesus is the one who does that. He did that in his coming and his dying and his resurrecting. And that work is worth believing in. He's worth trusting. And so what do we do with this promise from thousands of years ago? Well, first, we believe in Jesus. We trust Jesus. We look to Jesus and we follow him. And yet, we look around us and things still don't seem all that great. If Jesus has come, then why are snakes still so fearsome? What are we to do with that? Jesus came. He said, my kingdom is at hand. It's here. And yet snakes are still awful. This is what theologians refer to as the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in the incarnation, established his kingdom. And yet his kingdom is not yet complete. It's not yet consummated, the theologians would say. We live in this in-between time. We can see glimpses of it, right? We can see glimpses of his, of his kingdom all around us. We can see it in our families. We can see it when people who have been estranged forgive one another. We can see it when people are healed. We can see it in the joy even of the holiday season. If we pay attention, there's evidence all around us that God's kingdom is here, and yet it's not. And so what do we do? We wait and we watch. This now and not yet is why we need Advent and texts like Isaiah to remind us to look and watch and wait and believe. That's why we pray each and every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we to do? We're to name the darkness, fight the darkness, even as we wait and watch and hope and believe that the shoot will come again, just as he promised. So first, what do we do? We look to Jesus and trust in him. Second, we wait and watch for the kingdom of God here among us, even as we wait and watch for Jesus to come again. Lastly, there's an invitation to participate, to bear witness to the places we see the king's kingdom already at hand where we see the king's spirit at work among us. God is still at work among us, isn't he? Millions of ways, each and every day. Most of them are small, like a shoot. We have to pay attention in order to see it. But if we do, we'll begin seeing the many places the king is on the move. All the work he's doing, the lives 
He's transforming. And so us, it's our job to bear witness to the king and his kingdom, to join him in those places where he's at work, to follow him into his work out there in the dark for the sake of the world, even as we believe and wait and watch, praying with all his people that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, out of the stump, a shoot has come. They're bringing light in the darkness. And believe it, he's coming again. You see, though the world may be dark, the darkness doesn't win. The king is coming. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for these words that still speak to us. God, thank you that you are the light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome. I pray, God, that you would make us to be a people who keep watch in the dark, who bear witness in the dark. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, even when the world seems dark. I pray these things in his name. Amen.